Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. When you go on holiday, there is no finer achievement than doing absolutely nothing. Nothing on the beach, nothing by the pool. Walking kind of nowhere and chatting about nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can have a bit more money to go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing. Expedia. Made to travel. This says we're pivot. You understand just how we live it. This for me is like rap religion. Hope I'm on because we got this guy. When it comes to this, y'all, I can get it hype. When it comes to this, y'all, calm has risen. How you living, huh? Yo, how you living, pivot? Now, by the way, Tiffany Haddish and I met um, feeding the homeless at the Laugh Factory. That sounds like I made it up. Um, she started there as a kid. Uh, there was a camp that she went to, um, and she started doing stand-up there. And I started doing my stand-up there as well, and we came, we met each other, because every Thanksgiving, we're lucky enough to, to feed the, the good people of LA. And I watched her get up and do a set we're doing sets during the day for homeless people and there were people heckling her. And I watched her navigate that crowd and I've never seen anyone do what she did. I mean, you know, cause the crowd was, you know, they were having a great time and they don't know who we are. And she, she was able to do her thing. And I learned so much about how uh, a standup does crowd work because God, how do you handle someone that won't stop talking? And she somehow, handled it beautifully. And also she's really open and got emotional. Um, I don't know, for me, I've been so lucky with my guests because they feel very comfortable with me. I think I'm, maybe I was a therapist in another life or a bartender or something. Anyway, here's the great Tiffany Haddish. Success. L'chaim. To your black mitzvah. Yes. That was almost a spit take, uh, for real. I did a spit take last night on stage for the first time in my life. Really? I, I had a, I had a, I had a breakthrough. You have to understand. I've really only been doing stand up a year and a half. No, but you've been around. I've been around. And you've jumped on stage and bullshitted. I, I, I've been doing stand up for about a year and a half, so I'm a rookie. I've been on stage since I was eight as an actor and done sketch comedy, you know, Second City, blah, blah. I've been doing it my whole life. Been doing, you know, comedies, TV, film, blah, blah, blah. Have only- Didn't you come in the early 2000s, like 2006, and we was doing a comedy playground with Kevin Hart, 
Chris Spencer. It was Pookie Wigginton's show at the Laugh Factory on Wednesday nights. And you came in, you played with us. I didn't get on stage, no. no. You didn't do a sketch with us? Did Sorry, it? it was another white man. Another maybe, white dude. Maybe, maybe. We're, we're everywhere. I mean, it we was, had a good run, it's over. It's but 2000. when we had a good goddamn run. No, y'all still got a good run. It's a wrap. Still need you guys for all the period pieces. No, it was like 2000. No, we'll, be, we'll be off camera in, no, getting the getaway car. But you guys, nah, you guys it's 2006. It. No. Packed audience. You don't remember doing those sketches you, with Kevin Hart? No. It wasn't me because Maybe I'll I never... got you mixed up with Robert Downey Jr. Well, I'll take that any day of the week. Iron Man. You sure? Because this is like Entourage, all that. Was it 2006, right? Yeah, but maybe am I going crazy? It was like it was like a sketch that yeah. you guys were doing? It was and a sketch show. No, because I, I, I'll I never forget the first time I got up there. It was a charity, you know, Toys for Tots at the Laugh Factory. And they put me up there with Russell Peters. First time I ever got up doing stand-up. And the way that I got into stand-up was they said, you're going to host with Russell. He's known for working the crowd. So I knew he would be so on point that I just went, as much as I'm an improviser, I'm not going to be able to hang with this dude. Because I'm not dumb enough to think that I can go to a new arena and kill it. Okay? So I had to write some jokes. So I'm up there with him. Mm -hmm. So he's killing. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go for mine. But, you know, I had some jokes in my pocket and they worked. And that's how I got hooked. And mm -hmm. that's how I got hooked on stand-up. So you've literally been doing stand-up for 20 years. Yeah, uh, more than 20, since 97. Do you remember the moment when you felt like you made a breakthrough? When it was like you were able to achieve what you wanted to? Yeah, it wasn't when I did Def Jam. It wasn't when I did Who Got Jokes. It was when I did the Arsenio Hall show. And what, what was it? Why, how did you, how did you Because when I was a little girl, I used to watch Arsenio Hall and be like, dang, if I could be on that show. He, she, if he was my husband, oh, I love Arsenio. If he right. was my dad, oh my God, he was in Coming America. I could just be his friend. Like all these different thoughts I would have about Arsenio Hall. Like it was really mixed up feelings. And then finally, I got to do some sketches on this show and I thought that was pretty cool. But I was like, if I did stand up, if I got to actually meet Arsenio and like he would be performing around town, I would try to catch his stand up shows and I would miss him every time. So I thought maybe God don't want me to meet this man. Right. And then um, finally they said, you, I'm going to do stand up on this show. And I told one of the producers, when I finish my set, I'm going to pick him up. <laughs> like, that's what I, said. Yeah. I thought I could pick him up. Yeah. And so. Uh, I guess one of them told him, and I finished my set, and everybody's like cheering and making all this noise, and he picks me up. And I was so shocked that he picked me up, and I didn't know if it was really happening. I thought it was a dream, kind of. Mm -hmm. So then I licked his face, and he tasted just like Ovaltine. And yeah. I was like, this is real. It was real? And that's when I knew I made it. There you go. Uh, I was talking more creatively than... That was creative, though. Because I killed, I killed that set. Right, but that's my. That was like my third time on a talk show doing stand up, and I fucking demolished. What was the difference between killing and what you thought you were doing before? Do you know when you turned that corner? Yeah, killing is like you don't even. You're not even in your body. It's just like you're like you're watching it, and it's just happening. And you have complete control of the room. With however you move, the room moves. Mm -hmm. Whenever, however you speak, it's like okay, you can laugh now. 
Mm-hmm. Now be quiet. Mm-hmm. Now laugh. Mm-hmm. Okay, listen to what I have to say now. Right. Now laugh a little bit. Now I'm take that back. Now laugh harder. But here's my now take but it here's back. my question. What are the elements that are involved to getting to that place? Because you know it has to look effortless. It has to look like it's the easiest thing in the world. But what had to happen for you to be in that space where you're able to kill? But you have to believe what you're saying. Whatever's coming out your mouth, it's like kind of like being a preacher. Like I feel like every comedian that wants to be like successful, you might need to go to church a little bit and watch how the preacher is commanding the room. Like mm-hmm. a good preacher can command the whole entire church. Mm-hmm. Like whether it be a mega church or a small church, right. like they move the whole room. And that's your job as a comedian is to move the whole room. You're tickling people's souls. That's your job. Wow. Your job is to tickle people's souls, make them forget about their hurt, their pain. Right. And get them going on your path, ride your roller coaster, listen to your story, get lost in it. The other night, I I haven't been doing it very long, Mm -hmm. but I'm grinding. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning and I'm talking to people like you. And that's what's helping me to grow as fast as I can. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable on stage because I'm an actor. But last night I said, fuck it. I got a set, but I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and this it sounds pretentious, but I'm gonna be brave. I'm just gonna be totally present and I'm gonna play off of everything that I see. And I I, I turned that corner, right? And you remember when you had that moment. I mean, the first time I turned that corner is when I graduated from comedy camp at the Laugh Factory. And there was news cameras there. I was freaking 15, almost 16. There's cameras there. There's a room full of people, more white people than I seen in the room than a school assembly. (laughs) More older white people, young white people. I'm used to old white people. I'm like, and it was awkward for me when I first got on stage. And uh, I didn't think anybody would laugh at anything I said. I thought it was gonna be like another drama festival. Like I had been winning drama festivals and killing in monologues, comedic mm-hmm. monologues and dramatic monologues yeah. for like three years before I even came to stand up. Right. So then I come to stand up and I've written this set and I've prepared this thing in this comedy camp that comedians, different comics have mentored me in and told me what I need to do and all this. And then here's all these news cameras and all these, you know, adults. When I've been performing for kids for the last eight weeks. And I turned the corner then because they laughed super hard at every single thing I said. Like there is video footage of me killing that room on jokes that probably if I did them today would bomb. What was the difference? It was who I was at that time. It was my See, point of view at that time. It was what I believed at that time. Right. That's what it's about. It's about like speaking your truth, mm-hmm. what you believe. Like as long as you're talking your truth, people can relate to it. Even if it's stupid as fuck, <laughs> like right. it could be the dumbest thing in the world. But if right. you believe it, then they'll roll with you because they're there to have fun. For sure. And they can feel it. A mob of people can tell when it's bullshit and they can tell, like, unless you're a fucking excellent salesman, they can tell. They can smell your fear like a pack of pit bulls. Yeah. They know when you're scared. They know when you're there. So, you know, what's fascinating is that, like, it's the last arena where you can exercise your freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. Mm -hmm. And I, I am so grateful for this journey. I can't even tell you. Now, it's been my experience that 
the stand-up community, their space is so sacred that it feels like a lot of times they sit in judgment of each other. You know what I mean? It's weird, with the acting community, you can be an outsider, you can be a stand-up comedian coming into the game. If you get a lead, you know, and you're not necessarily qualified, people will rally behind you. They'll and talk shit behind your back though. Okay, but, but <laughs> we're all in it to win it, yes. Yeah, because if you put asses in the seats and I'm in a movie with you that puts asses in seats, right? then that's gonna give me more movies, right? Right, right, but what I'm saying is about the stand-up community, which is interesting is, I just wanna get your take on it. It feels like a lot of people, their ideology is that it's science. Okay, and that if you haven't done it X amount of years, then you can't be shit. Do you, I know do you believe that, in science like that? I, I believe this. It takes uh, 10,000 hours to become a professional at anything. Mm -hmm. now, you put in 10,000 hours at anything, you become a professional, right? Right. And then there's like, and then if you put in so many hours, then you become an expert. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know people that have put in way more hours than me. They still not funny. <laughs> they're right. still garbage right like there's right. some people that just won't and they won't listen there's a certain thing about stand-up comedy there's certain things you can learn and that will always be fun you can learn certain traits about it right and you'll always win you'll always be funny and you might not be a funny person mm -hmm. but you can always there's certain techniques that you can learn that will make you funny mm -hmm. and you'll win right and then then there's a hard-headedness that will stop you. Like, and you can do those techniques, but you think you're better than whatever the technique is and you fuck it up and you can be doing comedy. I know people that have been doing comedy 30 something years. They're still not fucking funny. Mm -hmm. And their resume proves that, mm -hmm. that they're not funny. Then there's people that are not funny, that are good business people and good at communication and relationships. And their resume proves that. And then they'd be like, dang, they're not funny, but they're still killing everywhere. Because right. they know they have good promoters. They're good business-minded people. Right. They know how to do business. And then there's people that are fucking funny. They're like naturally hilarious. Mm -hmm. Like they don't even have any of the techniques. They're just, as soon as they walk up, they make, they make your soul open. They just make you feel good because they're there, mm -hmm. right? And then they don't ever go anywhere in life because no one's given them the knowledge because they automatically assume you got it. And even if you give them the knowledge to like turn that into something, they could really fucking care less. Okay, I basically wanted to document the journey of how difficult it is to do stand-up. It is oh, hard. It is. Because you're tickling people's souls. You're literally becoming a spiritual worker. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to figure out how to manipulate strangers into listening to your journey. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. How You Live in J-Pivot will be right back after we pay some bills. So, if you were to give me advice, uh -huh. I'm going from one arena where I've been acting my entire life, and now, how do I learn this new arena? And by the way, I am humbled by it. I have nothing but respect. Anyone that's ever been around me during this process, uh, I don't care who it is. Um, I just want to learn, mm -hmm. right? If there are certain things you have to hold on to that are cornerstones, that without these things, it's not going to happen. 
What would you say they are? Number one thing, make sure in your soul you want to share. Make sure there's some there's something about you on this day you want to share. Okay? Yeah. Period. Like you want to share something. Yeah. Whether it be what you wrote last night, mm-hmm. whether it be something you wrote a week ago or just your emotions right now. You're an actor, so it's like, really, I feel like so many actors be so in their head, like, get the fuck out your head. Get in your feelings. Yeah. Get in your fucking feelings. Right. Know, your, know your shit, but get in your feelings. And then read your audience. Read people's body language. Straight up. Like, it's super easy. <laughs> it's like, if you a mastermind manipulator, <laughs> like, it's super easy. Like, read their body language. How they looking at you as soon as you get up there. Look at them the same way. Don't ever be afraid to look at your audience in the eye. Mm-hmm. If it makes you uncomfortable to look at them in the eye, then look directly at the back of the wall. Cause then everybody will think you're checking the back, you're checking all the way and always watch the back of the wall. If you can scan that room, if you're scared to look at people's eyes, look at the top of their heads, but to the back of the wall. That right there will make them think you see them when you don't see shit. But they'll think you see them. They right. think you're checking for them. Because right. everybody wants to feel validated. Period. That whole room wants to feel validated. If you can, if you can check the energy in the room and call it out for what it is, in a moment, in any moment in your set, they'll feel like you see, they'll feel good about that. Yeah. You know? If you can be honest about how you feel, you know, have feelings, because everybody got them, just like everybody got an asshole. Mm-hmm. If you can speak on yours, that's winner ideas that you truly believe in if you're willing to give if you're willing to sell it and talk about your true belief they'll buy that too i feel like sometimes the car salesman can sometimes be the best comedian because you're selling the idea to people and you're tapping into their psyche into their thoughts you want them to go on your journey you're you're like I'm a storyteller comedian. There's some comedians that are just one-liners. Mm-hmm. I'm a storyteller. I'm gonna take you on a journey. I want to paint a picture for you. I want you when you leave up out that room. I want you to still feel like what I was feeling when I was up there. Mm-hmm. I want you the next day be like quoting some shit I said. Right. I want like two, three days later you see something that I talked about, and you'd be like, "Yeah, the Shin Young. What the fuck is these billboards doing up around here?" Like. I want you to think about me later. Like, it's what's your intention? When you go up there, what is your intention? What do you Mm. want to come from you being up there? Yeah. Are you just up there just because? Are you up there because you want to make people happy? Like, I'm up there because I'm addicted to smiles and laughter. That's my addiction. That's like, that's my, that's my shit. That's my get off. (laughs) Like you smiling right now, that's sexy. I, like I, love, I probably should have been a dentist, but I don't want to hurt nobody. <laughs> but do I you, love the sound of laughter, and I love teeth. Do you um, is do you do you have a certain process when you're like, okay, I got this idea, and I really wanna, I want to explore this. Do you have a group of friends you go to? Do you have a certain place you go and workshop it? Is it or is it just different every time? It depends. Most of the time, I like the people that's immediately around me. I'll drop it in a conversation. Uh-huh. I'm a conversational person. My comedy is conversational. 
I'll drop it in the conversation. If people laugh, if more than two people laugh in the conversation, I'm like, oh, this might be something. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, I, every idea that I have, I do voice memo it in my phone. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, I'll see. You know, I'll, and I'll talk about it. When I'm getting my makeup done, get my hair done. If I'm on the phone with one of my friends, I might drop it in a conversation. If they laugh, I'll be like, what? What you just say? Then I'm like, oh, this might be something. And then I move forward with it. Anything that tickles my soul that make me want to laugh. Right. I know if it make me want to laugh, it'll probably make 10 to 100,000 other people want to laugh. Do you remember, like, if you've got some greatest hits that you, the stuff that you love of yours, that was like, yeah, okay. Do you remember when you had these epiphanies or what sparked it? I know it's revealing your truth and I get it. Do you it's rem- not revealing my truth. It's, my, it's a process. So, like, everything's a process. Like... Literally, when you're writing jokes, it's a process to writing your jokes. It's a process to doing it. You got to get on stage and make it work. Uh, my, to me, my greatest hits is uh, one of my greatest is when I talk about the house. Like, uh, my vagina is a house. Like, everybody can't come inside your house. Uh, my granny taught me don't throw house parties. My grandma taught me how to value myself as a woman. You don't let everybody in there. They got to earn their way in. They, some about them got to be special for them to come inside your living room, right? <laughs> so right. you just can't let everybody inside of you, right? Right. right. So like, yeah. that's how she taught me. Right. To me, that's something, when she was telling me that, I was just like, is she talking about me getting fucked? Like, and then I told my homegirl and she laughed. Yeah. Then I told my other friend and she laughed. She's mm-hmm. like, that's great. Yeah, that's, your grandma's smart. And so then I started telling all my friends and all my friends was like, that's so smart. And everybody laughed. Right. And I was like, well, my grandma funny. I basically stole that shit from my granny. <laughs> but I mean, we started talking about the truth. I mean, that was, that's, that's something that everyone and can relate I, to. If and they that's can. how I think about myself. And there's been 39 motherfuckers in my house. There's your button. Bop. Boom. Beat out. <laughs> and when I get to 50, that's it. I'm right. gay. <laughs> that's it. Okay. So you got 11 more house guests. Oh, before, shit. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, you know what? I lied. Okay. I just lied. Okay. I forgot about some people. Okay. Right. 41. 41. Okay. But nine maybe they were more, Airbnb. Nine, nine more. Nine that. more. And that's it. I'm gay. Okay. All right. Hmm. Wow. See, it's cute when you say this, but we're at a time right now where men got to, we have to tread lightly. Why? Ah, uh, I don't know, man. We're, in, we're living. But in if a- you're being very honest and not touching anyone, grabbing anyone's pussy, you know, and also not, they're not an employee of yours. Right. You can kind of be, I think, I feel like men could be, I don't know. Shit, I don't have a penis. I don't know. No, it seems to me when I watch you that, there is no fear. No. What a, fear is false information appearing real. Why don't I just tell you my truth? Yeah. If you operate like, I, th- I said on stage the other night, I would, if I was the first woman to get charged with a Me Too situation, I would be proud of myself. Can you elaborate? <laughs> <laughs> Like if actors ask me, like, hey, Tiff, I want you to be in my movie. You fucking? And they was like, what? 
I mean, like, real talk. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be in that movie. That movie's whack. Unless you fucking, I ain't going to be in the movie. And they was like, she me to me. <laughs> Once again, adorable when you say it. Because I've heard dudes say this to me before. Mm. When I'm like, hey, I would like to open up for you on the road. Can I open up for you? But you can't open up for me unless you open in your legs. Well, if I want to fuck you, I would have just said, can I fuck you? I don't want to fuck you. I want to make money. Right. If I fuck you, why would I fuck you and do a comedy show? That's stupid. I should just fuck you and get money for that. Yeah, there's that saying, you don't shit where you eat. I you don't. No. Unless it's like I can eat like double. <laughs> Let me quit. I don't know. I'm just talking shit now. I, I don't shit where I eat. That's nasty. That's like a bird. Yeah. And that's what you call a chicken head. That's right. They shit where they eat. Right. So if you... if <laughs> That's so funny because chickens shit where they eat. Yeah, they do. And they're living the dream. And that's a chicken head. That is a chicken head. We eat them. So, if, Did you know that chickens don't pee? They don't what? Pee. Really? Mm -hmm. They're very acidic. I know a lot of random shit. Yeah, you really I'm really. kind of smart. I'm a little bit of a scientist. Anyways, go ahead. If you... Your cameraman is smiling super hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to hold it together. Okay. So, if you... I mean, were there some, were there, is there ever a time when you get in your own way and you know, for whatever reason, I'd love to hear what these reasons are, you weren't able to, to work on your highest level in front of an audience? Yeah, so many times. Uh, one time, the first time, I can tell you the first time I wasn't able to work on my highest level. Uh, and mind you, this is in the beginning stages of my career and I still didn't, know how to necessarily operate my instruments like there you like the more you perform the more you learn how to wield your instrument your instrument is your mind and your mouth also your body like no understanding how that moves how to work your words how to use your mind it's a whole thing right and um uh, in the beginning of my career uh i was young i was a baby Right. So I'm learning who I am. Uh, my experiences necessarily did not relate to my audience's experiences. Right. And but when I did bar mitzvahs, I was killing. I was killing every mitzvah because because those people weren't far from my age range. Right. Okay. Uh, I've done over 500 mitzvahs. I'm Jewish, too. Don't worry. About it. Yeah. Anyways. So I remember. um I went on stage one night. My mom had beat me up in a Walmart parking lot. I had a show that night. I watched six police officers hold her down and take her away in the middle, in the mall, in the Walmart. And my lip was busted. She beat me up. My lip was busted. Um, my ribs was bruised. Like I was, I was fucked up. And like decided, like I got little lips for a black woman, but my shit was all swole. Right. And I could barely talk because the pain. Right. But I wanted to do my set because like uh, the club that was giving me a hard time about, you know, me even getting stage time because I'm a girl or when nobody comes to see you or whatever. 
I show up anyways. I'm on stage. I decide to talk about my truth. I'm like, and I decided to talk about why my lip was busted, why I was in pain, that my ribs hurt, all these things, that my mama just beat me up in the parking lot. I talked about it. The audience laughed so hard. It made me so mad. I started to cry in front of them. They started to laugh harder. I started to cuss them out as tears, like fucking bucket tears are falling out my eyes. I was so pissed. And I don't know if they thought like, oh, she's just a fucking phenomenal entertainer. Or this girl's hurt. But everybody laughed. So I'm thinking I'm a phenomenal entertainer. But I was hurting like my lip. My face was hurting. Wow. But my mama beat my ass. I was 23 years old. I got fucked up in a parking lot. It's so crazy. <laughs> but they laughed. So yeah. and then in that and in that moment, like, and your question was. Well, first of all, they were laughing at they were laughing. You were sharing your pain, and it was truthful, but they thought your intent, because the, the context is, I'm here to make you laugh, right? So you were telling your truth, they could tell it was your truth. I mean, it's crazy, because I'm trying to understand it. I mean, did you, what did you learn from why they were laughing at your pain? I felt like they were laughing at my pain because the way I thought in my mind, they were laughing. There's two sides, there's like, I'm like an onion. There's a lot of layers to me, right? So like. Uh, there's a part of me that's like, oh, they're laughing because they want you to feel better. They know you're hurting. This right. is one part of me said they know you're hurting. They want you to feel better. There's another part of me says they're laughing because the way you said it is so funny because you've really painted a picture. Right. And like you're really mad and you're like, why are these people watching me get beat up and nobody's stopping this? And your mom is spitting on a man with no legs. Your mom is doing this. Your mom is doing that. Like, it's not normal, but it's happening. Right. So it's this heightened reality. That's why they're right. laughing. Right. And But there's the little girl in me that's like, well, can somebody just give me a fucking hug? Right. Hold me. I'm hurting. Right. You know? Don't go anywhere. How You Live in J-Pivot will be right back after we pay some bills. Let's get after it. And I told that joke for a year. For a year, people would laugh their asses off. And maybe after the third time, I didn't cry anymore because my lip healed. But still, I was mad. And But they were laughing. I feel like they could feel the anger. Right. They could feel the intent, like the anger. You're so naturally funny that you were conveying your pain. in such a way that they couldn't help but laugh, which is... Yeah, because it was either laugh or cry. Right. But you were crying for them. And that's the, that's the, and I, there's the rap, huh? Yeah. Like, the clown cries. Right. For you. Mm. Some people say, are you happy? And I go, well, really today I'm like in between. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm successful. But yeah, you have everything. Why, why aren't you happy? That doesn't make any sense. Well, no, happiness it doesn't have to do with what you have. What you don't have, it has to do with what you're thinking on that day. That. I'm a woman, so on the days I bleed, I'm not necessarily happy. Yeah. I'm hurting. Yeah. Something died. <laughs> <laughs> they asked John Lennon, 
what he wanted to be when he, when he grew up. And he said, happy. And they said, you don't understand the question. And he said, no, I understand the question. You know, and people, people don't get that. They don't get it, but they also, sorry to interrupt you. No, you but didn't they, But they me. don't, they also don't understand the grind and that you have to grind. Um, and that's what I was trying to get to with you. You know, I was trying to lead you there, but just that people don't understand, like you're up there making it look easy. When the reality is like you, you quoted Malcolm Gladwell, you know, the difference between good and great is 10,000 hours, you know, and it looks pretentious when you talk about it, but it is a variable and you, you put the time in and that's real, mm -hmm. you know, at its essence, it's exactly what you just said, but to get to the point where you're capable of tickling their soul takes a lot of love and time and, and effort and grinding and hours and figuring it out and coming back to it. You know what I mean? It and doesn't take any love. It did like love is well, first off, you have to know how to love. If you know how to, then that makes it even more fantastic. Some people don't know how to love and they're still like fucking phenomenal. It takes joy. You have to have joy and it has to make you feel something. That's the only way you can make the audience feel is like if you feel. Mm -hmm. When you start dying inside, then you can go off the words and the words can be written so well and you can perform it so well, but there's a little, there's a little bit, like the audience can kind of tell there's something not right here. Right. Are you able to, when you know you're going down that path, recorrect yourself on stage? Sometimes I can and sometimes I cannot. It depends on my energy level. Yeah. If I'm a, if I'm fully rested, I'm a fucking beast. When I have enough rest, I, I, I will say this: I'm phenomenal when I'm on my, on my bed. Like I've got all my rest. I'm, a, I'm operating on, a, on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm operating at fifty percent, I can fucking demolish. It's when I'm on one cylinder, when I'm like, am I? I think I'm dying. Like physically, mentally, I feel horrible. Right. Is when it's bad. So you've been going back and forth between acting and stand up. Do you feel like one is informing the other? Like you, you're, you're, you go back to stand up and because you, you've been acting now more than ever. And do you notice it's affected your stand up? It's always affected my stand up. It's always, always affected my stand up. Even when. Like I was acting, I was definitely acting before I started doing stand-up because I was in all those drama festivals in high school. Yeah. Then I went into stand-up and it was like, it was like drinking water. It was easy, right? And then, then I wasn't acting anymore and I was just doing stand-up and then I got into this niche. And then somebody told me, you can make more money at doing stand-up if you get on TV and do some acting. And then I auditioned for stuff and I was horrible at auditioning. It was very uncomfortable. And it was weird and awkward because I couldn't control. I can control a room. At that point, I could control a room of 100 people, 200 people. Mm. But I couldn't control a room of three mm. or two. Right. It was weird. Right. And so then. Um, <laughs> it's a different I, skill set. Super different skill set. 
So I started taking acting classes. And when in taking those acting classes, I started learning about character development and how to uh, how to write a scene, a scene studies and things of this nature. And so then I was able to even paint better pictures for my stand-up. Mm-hmm. Like there I became an even better storyteller. Like at the at first, I don't think even I, I don't think I was a storyteller when I first started doing stand-up. But after taking acting classes, like real classes, like really spending real money on it, I became a storyteller. Right. And really good at it. What, what do you think? I was talking with Jamie and Jamie would use, because as you know, he has skills in many different arenas. And he would take his singing and his ability to do that. And he would take, for instance, like a Snoop song and, and make it operatic, you know, and put it together and kind of perform the stuff and he would kill it. And there were some, you know, hardcore standups that said, you're cheating, man. That's cheating. What, what, out of curiosity, what's your take on that? I feel like it's entertaining. I don't think it's cheating personally. I think use all your abilities. Personally, like comedians, I think we're kind of like superheroes. Whatever your ability is, fucking use it. Right. Use every fucking thing God gave you. Whatever your tools are, open up that... Open up that toolbox, pull out whatever you can use. Mm-hmm. Use it. Right. If you're good at it, great. If you're semi good at it, say, oh, I'm, this is my mediocre tool, mm-hmm. but I'm going to use it. Sometimes if you even pull out a tool you suck at using, fucking use it. Like, I think it's super important to use all your tools. Yeah. So speaking, <laughs> no. of, speaking of keeping it real. Yeah. I was, I was performing in... Um, Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> they are they the boo, Baltimore. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I was the only white boy. Mm-hmm. And and I that's kind of the way I grew up. And so... Where'd I, you grow up? Just outside of Chicago. But Okay. Yeah. Don't give me that look. No, it makes me like even more proud of you. There me. you go. That's how, that's my connection with, with Common. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I have no fear of being the only white boy you know what i mean it's just we're all in it together i don't you know when you don't know about racism to me is just the lack of knowledge of someone else you know when you and then but the whole that's a whole other that's prejudice yeah prejudice that's a whole other conversation right so they there was a moment where we were we were driving with this dude and he said to me he he said, uh, what do you need, Jeremy? This one brother from, from Baltimore. And I said, I need an audience. He said, you're not going to get an audience, man. I said, why? He goes, you're a white dude. They ain't going to show up for you, right? I said, and the, and, and, uh, but what's interesting is, my, my point of this is that there, to me, was no more honest crowd. Because if you can, if you can get that community laughing, because they're not going to give it up unless you re it's the it's the realest room you're going to play in front of where did, your first 10 years what kind of rooms are you playing I was playing the laugh factory oh, okay. which was like some nights depends on what night of the week it is uh some nights it'd be spanish night mm-hmm. which i feel like still you know it's so sad about comedy some ugh. 
it's there's so much uh, segregation in it. Yeah. You know? So some nights Spanish night, some night it's uh it's Asian night. Right. It's a white night. Most of the time, majority of the nights are white nights. And then there's your chocolate Sundays, there's your black nights, you know, uh or your Mo Better Mondays, uh, you know, uh chuckle them up. Thursdays, <laughs> chuckle Thursdays, like right. And so you know, although the anything that has a laugh in it is a black night. The word that's something that's related to a laughter word is right. a black night, or food is a black night. And and for me, and the first ten years, my the the shows that I made money on mm-hmm. were the white shows, which is comedy all-star they would call it all-star shows okay those shows those are shows i made money on and the you know the urban shows anything that was outside of white um i didn't make no money on but i perfected my comedy in there you go so you have to do the heavy lifting because if it's not real and it's not your truth they're not going to give it up but you know and, what? And that, by the way, Let's sorry to interrupt be, you, but that's gold. But all it that, is gold. You're not getting paid, but there's no better training ground, and you know that. Right? No? But I feel like it, how you address the audience from the get-go, it doesn't matter. Because you can, if you're good at reading people, you know when people are giving you a sympathy laugh, and you know when people are giving you a real laugh. Right. So it doesn't matter. I personally feel like it doesn't matter where you're at, but then maybe it does because I've seen comics that have been world renowned, like, oh, I shut it down every time I do these rooms. Mm -hmm. And then they come to the urban side and they eat a bag of dicks. Okay. They bomb. Right. And I'm like, now let me show you. I've never eaten a bag of dicks. That's one man talking. So I understand the metaphor, but I, you know what I mean? I don't have a real reference to the metaphor. Yeah, I don't have I, a real I, reference to the metaphor either. I've okay. never eaten a bag of dicks either. Right. Okay. But I'm going to assume it's like eating a bunch of something you don't like. Okay, fair enough. I get that. So what is your f- most worst food? What's the food that you hate to eat? You know. Liver? Uh, uh, no. Pork skin? No, the, the Jews eat chicken liver. Chicken know? liver? Yeah. So is what? that something you don't like? Um, you know, the, there's an old saying, what am I, chopped liver? That comes from the Jews. Right, I know. Okay, so that's a delicacy to, to my people. So, okay, you know they're not just your people, they're my people too. You're, Do you realize you're sitting across from a darker Jew than you? There you go. Chadesh. I love it. Tiffany Chadesh, oh, there like Chadesh. I love it. Oh, hello. The east side of Africa. You know. Ethiopia, Eritrea. Ah. So you have. Shalom. Some, you, you, you have some Ethiopian in you. So maybe Eritrea. I have a Jew in me too. Okay. I did my twenty three in me. Oh my God. Okay. That's a whole. I different... even have a genetic disease that's only subject to Jews. What What is that? You're cheap. Nope. I didn't get a courtesy chuckle out of that shit. God damn. How you live in Jay Piven is a cast original podcast. In association with Common Enemy and Tenderfoot TV. Producer is Kyle Tequila. Theme song by Common. 
Executive producer for Cast is John Svack. Executive producers for Tenderfoot TV are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. Executive producers for Common Enemy are Jared Einson and Dave Osico. Catch all new episodes of How You Live in J. Piven every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts.